0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Again that's Psalm 19:14. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing to look at these uh, genealogies that are in the Old Testament because I'm stressing some things here, and what I want to point out to you, what I want you to understand is why these genealogies are here and how they work so that we can better understand Matthew's genealogy. And the the other thing is is that Matthew's genealogy begins with Abraham, and so what I'm doing in the genealogies we've looked at in Genesis 4, Genesis 5, Genesis 10— all those genealogies are getting us up to Abraham. But, but what happens with the writer, I believe to be Ab- um, Moses, um, what I believe is going on there is, is that it, it, what he does is he first tells us about Adam, then he tells us about Cain and Abel, and then Cain kills Abel, so now he just got Cain. Then he has Seth, and then so what he does is he tells us the, the story, a little bit of the story of the line of Cain, and he gets us up to a man named Lamech, who is a, you know just a horrible guy. And then what he does then is he drops that line there, and then he picks up the genealogy of Seth, because Seth is the line we're going to follow all the way up to Abraham. And so he gets us from Seth up to Noah. And so he gets us from from point A to point B. And then he pushes Cain's line to the side, and we're done with that. And then so you get Noah, and then Noah has three children. And so in chapter 10, what he does is he kind of runs us through some of Ham's kids and some of Japheth's kids, Ham's kids, he gets us up to Nimrod. He focuses a little more on the Ham line because the Canaanites, who are part of the line of Ham, are going to continue to play a role in the Old Testament. They're going to continue to play a role in the lives of the Shem line, who is the Hebrews. The people that were going to follow the, the, the central characters in the Old Testament are the line that comes from Shem. So first you get the righteous line from Seth. Up to Noah. And then from Noah, then he, we're going to pick up and we're going to focus primarily on the line of Shem, which is the righteous line in this. Japheth kind of wanders off to the side, explains the people who live on the coastlands are, and then he goes into the line of Ham and he focuses on one guy in the line, two guys really. He focuses first on Nimrod. And Nimrod's important because in Genesis 11, we're going to hear about the Tower of Babel, and Nimrod's kingdom started at Babel in the land of Shinar, and the Tower of Babel is going to be built on the plain of Shinar. So it's going to tell us who Nimrod is, because Nimrod's going to show up again. But then he also focuses on Canaan, who was the grandson of Noah through Ham, and there's a reason he focuses on him. And he focuses on him because, well, his people are the ones who are going to be conquered when they come into the land. And it explains something about who they are. they are people that, that I believe to have been come from a, an incestuous relationship between Ham and his mother. His father gets drunk, and then we're told that he uncovered his father's nakedness. And I'm persuaded by Michael Heiser and others that, that what that means, based on the way Leviticus uses the word about father's nakedness being the mother— that I believe that's what happened, and therefore the curse falls on Canaan, who is the product of that, and therefore we know then something about the character of the people, because that's always the origin story tells you something about the character of the people, in the same way that it does about the Moabites, who are the product of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. And so we, we're told about Sodom and Gomorrah, so much of the history that we're going to get in the Old Testament is going to be told through these families. So now in the Shem line, we're going to get Shem's descendants after, in Genesis 11, we get after the Tower of Babel, and what has happened there? That The name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there he dispersed them over the face of the earth. So they left off building a city, and then later in Deuteronomy, we're going to be told that he, he apportioned those nations according to the number of the sons of God who are angels, that he then gives territorial responsibility. Some of those later are fallen, and they're, they're cooperating no longer with Yahweh, but they're cooperating with his adversary. So that's what happens to these people. So we, in chapter 10, we got a quick overview, bam, 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 of Shem's descendants. Now, after Babel, he tells us that's what happened to all those other nations, they got scattered over the face of the earth, and their language was confused. It went from being, as we're told, that the whole earth had one language and the same words. And so they ended up in Shinar, and, and, and there they build this tower. And as I said, that's where Nimrod is. He is the king in this place. And then they're going to make a name for themselves in the heaven. God has to come down. They, they're trying to build this thing in the heavens. God says, let's go down there and see it. It's, it's not reaching to the heavens but he comes down and he confuses their language. And so that basically is the end of the the Ham and Japheth lines as far as we're going to trace them. We don't care anymore what happens to those people. They're not God's people. What we do care about is what happens in verse 10 of chapter 11, and that's Shem's descendants. So these are the descendants of Shem. And we go back to the formula that he used in leading up to Noah from Seth. We're going to find out Shem... Noah's son was 100, and then he had Arpachshad two years after the flood, and then Shem lived after that 500 years, so he was 600 years old, and then Arpachshad lived 35, he had a Son named Shelah. Well, that's a familiar name. And then he lived another 403 years, so he's 438 years. Shelah lives 30 years. He has a child named Eber, and these are all boys. And that's his first child. That's the firstborn, so that's the important one. And so then he lived another 403 years, and then after that child, Eber was born, he lived 34 years, and then he had a child named Peleg. And then he lived another 430 years. And then when Peleg lived 30, he had a child named Ru. And then he lived another 209 years. These are all getting shorter. Ru then had 32. He had Serug. And then he lived another 207 years. So then Serug lived 30 years. He fathered Nehor. And then Serug, after that, lived another 200 years. Nahor lived 29 years and he fathered Terah. And then Nahor lived another 119 years. And then, so Nahor has Terah. Terah, at the age of 70, has three children, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So Nahor is going to be named after his father, or grandfather, sorry. And then, but, so Nahor is grandfather, Terah is father, and then Abraham. And then, so now we're going to hear about Terah. These are the generations of Terah. He had Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. So, we know Lot, right? Got that. Haran, after he fathered Lot, died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, we don't know who the Chaldeans are, except for later we know who the Chaldeans are, so it would have been familiar to the people it, this book was written to. And then, so, then, so we've Sarah had three children, Nahor being one of them, he's the father, or, or I'm sorry, Haran being one of them, and he's the father of Lot, and then he dies. And so, so then Abram and Nahor, his brother, took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, who was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. And so what they surmise from all this this Iscah is also Sarai. So Sarah and Isca, they say, are the same person. They are the daughters of Haran, who are then married by their uncles, Abram and Nahor. And so then you've got Lot hanging out there as kind of an orphan in this thing. He's sort of by himself. He was the son of Haran, the brother of Abram. So Terah took Abram, his son, and and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went from Ur, the Chaldeans, to go to the land of Canaan, Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. So he's got a brother named Haran, but then they settle in Haran. So then the days of Terah were 205 years, and then he died in Haran. So they were going to Canaan, but they never made it to Canaan. They stopped along the way. And then in chapter 12, what we get is the pickup of the story where Abram is told to leave that place and go to the land of Canaan because that's the land God's going to give them. So what we get then now, after we get through with those genealogies, that gets us up through Abraham. Those genealogies do. And so we know exactly what the tie is from Abraham back in time to the time of Noah, right through um, Shem. And then we know that back from Noah goes back to Seth, who was the son given to Adam and Eve to replace Abel, who was killed by Cain. So we know then we go back to Seth, which then takes us back to Adam. Now, So Matthew, however, begins his genealogy not there. That's not where he begins it at all. He begins it, in fact, in a different place. He begins with Abraham. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's pointing back one step in time to another step in time. And then he comes forward, and so what he's doing is essentially he's taking for granted the genealogy that's in um, Genesis 4, Genesis 5, Genesis um, 10, and Genesis 11. He's taken those things for granted and said, you already have that information, so I'm going to get you back to Abraham. And that's the important place that he wants to focus anyway, because he is the father of the line of the Jews who are expecting the Messiah but he gets him there by by first making a waypoint at David and then going back from there all the way to Abraham and then from Abraham he he's basically saying go back and look at Genesis 4, Genesis 5, Genesis 10 and Genesis 11 and you'll get back to Adam that way through the path that I just described for you from Abraham all the way back through Shem to Noah and from Noah then back through uh, that line all the way back to Seth, the son of Adam, which then gets you back to Adam. And so that's the point. Matthew's genealogy gets you there to that place. But his important stopping point is not Adam, it's Abraham, the man through whom the Israelites have covenant relationship with the living God. So that's the place because that's the group of people, not the entirety of the group of people that goes back from Abraham because he had two brothers and blah, 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 blah. So that goes back in time to all the way back to the time of the covenant. And that's the important thing because Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant relationship that God has with his people and his people begin with Abraham. So that's where he starts. So Abraham's the father of Isaac and Isaac is the father of Jacob. Well, he's not just the father of Jacob, he's also the father of Esau, but those are unimportant details for this, because we know what happened to the Esau line. We see that in the Old Testament. That's an immaterial part of the genealogy, and so Jacob, then, is the father of Judah and his brothers. So, he bothers to include those others in the tribe, the 12 tribes. He includes all of those, but only by saying that he was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah is the important line because it's from Judah we get David. So Judaism is Judah. Judah is the righteous line, the one that was chosen. You would think if you read the book of Genesis, if you just read through it, you would think at the end of the day, the line that was going to be chosen, unless you read the the blessings that that Jacob put on his sons, you would think that Joseph was surely going to be the righteous line, the one that was going to be the important line going forward, getting you up to Messiah. But it's not, because the blessing— that Jacob gives to his boys, puts that blessing on Judah. And we're going to look at Judah a little bit more as we move forward in this genealogy, and we're about to get there right now. Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. That's a woman. As I said, we don't see any women in the Old Testament genealogy, so Matthew then pulls in somebody here that you kind of go, "Wait, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isaac's the father of Jacob, Jacob's the father of Judah, And then Judah's the father of Perez and Zerah by somebody. Why don't we hear about Sarah? Why don't we hear about um, um, Rachel? Why don't we hear about Leah? Why don't we hear about Rebecca? Why are those all missing from this genealogy? And then suddenly we get this Tamar person. Well, it's because Tamar's different. Tamar brings something else into the mix. And as I said about Matthew, when Matthew comes into the apostolic, the, the group of disciples, when he comes into that, there's, there is a tension that's there. It's one of those things that's a little bit jarring, especially if you're already part of the crowd, because that crowd included a bunch of guys who knew each other. They, they, they included four guys who were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee who were friends in that way, and then they reached out to their friends and brought them in, Philip, Nathaniel, all those other guys. They come in through the original disciples. Jesus calls Matthew, and Matthew responds just like they did. Was he looking for Messiah? Why did Jesus call him? But when he calls him, then that upsets the balance. It upsets the entire apple cart. Why? Because he's a tax collector. Tax collectors don't belong in the apostolic group. They don't belong as disciples of Messiah. And so, he, Matthew, in his genealogy is going to bring in some of these people who are outsiders who jar somebody when they read these things, but at the same time, what we see is these people are Gentiles, and all Gentiles means is non-Jew, right? I mean, that's pretty much all it means. It means the rest of the world. And so Tamar is a Gentile. Hmm. Now deal with that right? Um, that, that's the interesting part of all this, is, is that she's the first sort of outsider in this group, because who does Abraham marry? He marries the daughter of his brother Nahor. And then who does Isaac marry? Well, Abraham sends his servant back to where? Back to Haran, and finds a nephew or a niece—I mean, who who comes? That's Rebecca. She comes, and she is the wife of Isaac. And then what happens? So, so after Jacob steals his birthright and blessing, they send him away because his mother, Rebecca, insists. Got to get. I, I'm tired of these Canaanite women. I need somebody from our family to marry this son. So what does she do? She sends him back there, and then he comes back with a wife. Well, actually not quite. He comes back with two wives who are sisters of Rebecca's brother. So these are all family. And then we get to Judah, who had a wife and had children, and then that wife died. And the, his son died, and, and then she, she was, he was married to this Tamar. She's the outsider. She's the first outsider that comes into this group. And she teaches something to the group. She has something to offer this family that is righteous in a way that the line is not righteous because Judah sins against Tamar. And Tamar then brings forth that sin and brings righteousness into that line. We're going to hear about that, talk about that tomorrow. I look forward to it.